as you'd know, it's been wet, particularly up in the hills. And emergency crews keeping a close eye on a couple of dams at high risk of failure following the week we've had of heavy rain and certainly more on the way. One is at Hope Forest and the other at Basket Range on Lobethal Road. That one particularly, roads closed in the vicinity around there. Some people have left their homes now voluntarily. Uh, roads, as I say, closed, property owners at risk notified and, and not all choosing to stay. Not so much the dam that's an issue. I understand there it's soil slippage just from the, the wet rain. Nothing could have stopped it. I, you get that much rain and soil gets saturated and away we go. But there are hundreds of dams in the Adelaide Hills and a report only released, oh, I think a month, maybe two ago, found that uh, potentially there's a high risk of property being damaged if, if dams go uh, across the board in, in weather conditions like what we've experienced. Uh, I gather there was to be money in the, the state budget. I haven't had a chance to wade through all the budget papers this morning to uh, to find all of that, but the Environment Minister and Deputy Premier, Dr Susan Close, on the line. Uh, Minister, good morning. Great to speak to you, Matthew. Thank you. Tell me about the situation, as you're aware, at least with the two at risk at the moment. Yeah, so, well, obviously the SES are leading that work. Um, we have hydrologists in the Department for Environment and Water who are supporting so that they can understand best, you know, how the water might behave and what where the risks are. Um, but the SES are doing a fantastic job to keeping an eye on how those two dams are going. They have asked some people to to leave and some have said no they don't want to um, which is, is their right of course but um, we're, I'm hopeful that mostly people will, will pay attention to what the SES are advising and let's hope that we, we don't we don't see that slippage um, really create a problem for, for people and property. Alright so obviously engineers etc on standby and, and looking at That's all of right. that yep, trying to make sure that nothing nothing happens in, in that regard but uh, a report recently and, and this is part of your yes. department, Environment Water Department, Four hundred, or you inspected some 6,300 dams. Officials had a look at those over the last uh, couple of years. And 460, particularly around the Onkaparinga and Angus River catchment area, considered uh, at risk in, in failure would potentially pose a flood risk to people. That's right. So um, just to be really clear about that, we, we're not saying that there are 460 that are highly likely to fail. What we're saying is if they failed, they would cause damage to property, uh, to infrastructure off off that farm. So some are located in a place that, sure, if, if the water spills, it spills. Um, it's a nuisance for the owner of the dam, but um, that that's okay. And then for about 460 of them, if they should fail, then they're going to cause problems. So we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support the landholders to uh, not have them fail. But more generally, we want to make sure that we're working properly with people who own these dams. Um, I have a lot of sympathy. There are dam uh, owners who, they didn't build that dam. They've yeah. bought the property since, but they didn't put it in. They're not sure of the structural integrity of it. Uh, and so what we're wanting to be as... Um, good at partnership as possible in providing all the information that we can, all of the scientific and engineering information, making it easy to digest for landholders to understand what their responsibilities are and how they can set about dealing with contractors and so on. Uh, and we've, we've, we've held some public forums, we've had some drop-in sessions, and we've got information on the internet. We're working through the landscape board, which used to be called the NRM board, to make sure that we're really getting into property by property, talking to people. And we've done this, this spatial mapping 
to really um, have a look at where the areas are where we want to make sure we're paying particular attention because, as I say, not that they necessarily will fail at all, but the consequences if they did are, are, are more serious. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. Some of these dams were put in well up to a hundred years ago, and uh, and they've been there since. What what support? You've talked about things you can do, but but practically financial support to shore up some. If you if people think or engineers think, look, this this could go, and it's just going to take another heavy downpour of what we saw next week. What what can you do for farmers directly to uh, to assist them in that regard? So there's no um, discrete pot of money that says, um, you know, landholder, we're happy to come and help um, redo your, your dam for you. It, it, it is a, the owner's responsibility. But we did get some $4 million from the federal government and uh, with our funding, we've, we've turned that into nearly $8 million to work on levies and on flood mapping and also forecasting climate risk. So there is some money that's come through the budget in partnership with the feds to work on, on those broader issues of, of flood risk. And as we all know, the levy issues were really, really significant during the, the Murray floods. And so we made sure that um, we, we put our best foot forward on getting some support for those. And they tend to be uh, either on government land or on council land or shared uh, properties um, across a number of owners. So we have managed to get some some decent funding. Uh, about $6 million of, of that, nearly $8 million is going to, to support levy works. But it's also important that we get that really good mapping because one of the things that's happened is that we now understand after the most recent flood that um, you know the landscape's changed shape since the last time we had a big flood. So knowing how water behaves and what the risks are is really important. And we've applied that same sort of level of scientific approach to the question of these privately held dams as well. Knowing how things work, having that spatial analysis then helps the landholders with understanding what they need to do to protect themselves but also to protect others downstream. All right. Because ultimately it is the landowner that's accountable, isn't it? Legally it's theirs. That's right. But we don't want to just go, oh, well, you know, call us, um, get the SCS in when there's a problem. We actually want to be helpful and that's why we've got a lot of this material. And, you know, I, I guess hearing a politician talk about educational material might sound uh, light, but actually the intellectual work, the, the engineering work that goes into those, those that, that support material is exactly what a lot of landholders need. They've, like I said, they've inherited this, this dam. They didn't build it. They haven't con- had the original contractors. Mm-hmm. So they now need to work out, well, what is it that you do when you're managing a dam? And we've done a lot of that work for them to help them understand that. All right. Uh, just while I, I have you as, as Deputy Premier wearing that hat, can I just ask you about yes. a couple of other uh, issues? One is the uh, the opposition today saying that um, the school crossing program is, is a year behind, that there's been a delay to high-priority school crossing upgrades, obviously with Marriottville uh, in mind particularly. Particularly, and uh, and children at risk. What's your response to that? Well, I, I'm I'm not aware of the extent of any delay, but I know that I had a conversation with Tom Kutsantonis, the minister, very recently about uh, how he is taking this incredibly seriously, and that we need to make sure that we're accelerating the work that we're doing. So um, there's no lack of attention coming from the minister, and no lack of concern. Uh, we have experienced across Australia uh, enormous challenges with 
infrastructure projects simply with getting the staff on the ground. It's hard to get people at the moment. Uh, costs escalate. Projects are backing up. So uh, it, it may well be that there are those challenges associated with, with that, but we are doing everything we can to, to get this happening. But I also urge people, if I can just take this moment, to say, please drive safely all the time, but particularly when you're near a school. Mm. Kids don't have the same road sense as adults. So, you know, think, don't think about, oh, I've got to get to work, I've got to get to see my family. Think about the kids that might be a, a bit silly, not, not looking properly. Drive slowly, be careful. The other story today is uh, the, the fact that council CEOs, on, on the back of what seems to be in a, a cross-board 8 to 9% council rate increase, council CEOs getting up to $100,000 in their package more. Uh, come next financial year. Now, you know, even politicians yeah. don't get pay rises like that, mostly. No. <laughs> so that, that <laughs> no, just seems no. obscene, just absolutely it, obscene it, uh, and uh, look, totally not in keeping with where we're at. I can totally understand people's reaction about that. I mean, here people are struggling to meet their weekly grocery bills, challenged by uh, utilities prices going up, particularly electricity. Um, this is and, you know, the state and federal government's thrown a lot of money at getting those electricity prices down to help, uh, you know, a lot of people out. So really recognise this is where most people are right now. So to hear about a few people, and, you know, there's about 68 councils, so it's not a, a lot of people, but to hear about a few people getting getting a bit of a bonus because of a central decision is, is rough. Now, it's not easy because, the, as I understand it, the councils individually don't get to choose that. They don't get to have an influence on that decision. Um, but uh, that's that's um, the that, that, that's the way that that structure has been established. Is and, it time to change it? Um, I, I know that uh, the minister Jeff Rock's going to want to have a look at it. Whether it's possible, I don't know, but I know that he's going to want to have a look at it because if there's one person around our cabinet table who is even more in touch with people than than the rest of us, and you know we all we all think we're pretty close to it to to our constituents, but Jeff Brock has got his finger on the pulse and, and he'll be wanting to have a good look at it, I'm sure. And isn't it time on that front then, you talk about 68 councils, that we had three across the metro area and, I don't know, 15 out in the regions <laughs> and, and we're done? I don't know. Look, the thing, this could, this could be a really long discussion. The thing about councils <laughs> is that they're close to their communities. Um, it is a bit strange. I live in Port Adelaide Enfield Council, really big. It's about 130,000 voters in, mm. that, in that area. And then you go to Walkerville and it's tiny. Yeah. I, I do understand, um, you know, there's a sort of weirdness of when there was last an amalgamation that it seemed like a lot of the eastern suburbs uh, councils stayed really small and the, uh, the the western suburbs councils and northern got, got really big. But um, it, it causes a lot of distraction and a lot of noise amalgamations and you do want your councils to be responsive to their community. So uh, it, it, it always sounds like a quick fix. I'm not sure it is. Oh, okay. And you mentioned Port Adelaide, uh, major development there of the, uh, we know about the spur line, 51 million, but also yeah. an announcement about the bus hub that's going in. So just talk us briefly through that. Is that extra money? Is it part of the 51 million that was announced for the spur line? Uh, I believe that's extra money. And what we're doing there is um, we've got a lot of housing going in on both sides of the Inner Harbour. So um, on what we call Dock 1, which is uh, 
just on um, near, not far from where the lighthouse is, if that's the best way to describe it for people who haven't been to Port Adelaide for a while. And then over on the other side, on the semaphore side around the Glanville Station, lots and lots of housing going in. What we want to do is make sure that this is, becomes a hub where people can get in and out quickly. They can come visit. They can go to Pirate Life Brewery. They can go to the three incredible museums, Aviation, Railway and Maritime. And to do that, you need to have good connectivity. So we had already signed a contract for a lot less money, I have to say, to put in that spur line when we were last in government. We thought with a signed contract, that would keep it completely safe with an election. Didn't Stefan Knoll, if you remember him as the Transport Minister, cancelled that. So we've now gone back and re-established it because it means you get the train right into the heart of Port Adelaide. At the moment, the train station is up on a bridge uh, behind Coles, which is convenient for some people, but does not get you to the heart of Port Adelaide. To then have a bus station a hub that connects so that you can get other places is really important. And it means that for the whole of the Fever Peninsula down to West Lakes and into Port Adelaide, you've suddenly got much, much better connectivity. And that that's important. That's what public transport is there for. You shouldn't have to have a car to be able to go visit Port Adelaide. All right. Susan Close, appreciate your time on those issues. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Matthew. Environment Minister and Deputy Premier Susan Close.